that. Let's continue on. So, <clears throat> I'm going to expand on this theme. <clears throat> just, I mean, and it's really expansive. So, so I'm going to expand only for a little bit on this theme of the the hope is to be with the Lord, as a as opposed to thinking in terms of Jesus as a means to get us to our destination. So. So quite often this thought is, 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 I want to be in heaven, I don't want to be in hell, and so, so Jesus is the means to get me to heaven, as if heaven is the goal, not being with Jesus. So, so the thought of scripture is to be with the Lord, and then being with the Lord is now and always. So I'm just going to go through the, kind, of a, kind of a broad scope of scripture. If you remember, in the Garden of Eden, um, God gives Adam and Eve this, this, this beautiful garden, but most importantly, let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them in his image. And so Adam and Eve were created in God's image so that you could see that they, they were naked, had no shame. They could walk and talk with the Lord perfectly in this wonderful garden of Eden, and that's how the Lord wanted it to be. However, after the fall, what do you notice? They hide themselves from the Lord. Sinners cannot be in, this, in the presence of a holy God. So now they're hidden. They do not want to be in the presence of the Lord. So the, the fall brings, brings a hiding from God and brings shame. And then, of course, we see, you know, the consequences of the fracturing of their marriage, the fracturing of the creation, the fracturing of their relationship to God. And so God gives the promise then of the death of Christ, where he says, I'll send a singular seed from Eve and he's going to crush the head of Satan. It is true that we are always in the presence of the Lord, for God is everywhere. Um, Paul takes us up in the, in the Areopagus speech of Acts chapter 17. However, being in the presence of an omnipotent and omnipresent Lord is not the same as being saved. In fact, without Christ, being in the presence of God means being in the presence of your judge. He knows everything you, you did. Okay, um, okay. You know, like, like the perverted songs of uh, the perversion of, of, of Christ we see in Santa Claus and coming to town. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows whether you've been bad and good to be good for goodness sake. You know, so, so turning Santa Claus into his omnipresent one as opposed to Jesus Christ being the omnipresent one. And, and our Lord is omnipresent. And so without the grace of God in Christ Jesus, um, it would be a God of judgment. However, God is a God who saves. So if you remember, especially um, Moses knows he's in the presence of the Lord when the burning bush speaks to him. And of course, it's not just Moses, but, but other people, Abraham with the visitors, etc., like this. But especially in the wilderness wandering, I, I want to focus with the pillar of fire and the pillar of, of cloud. And then they, the, the people of Israel always knew the presence of the Lord and the Lord would lead them also. And then when we see that the tabernacle was built, the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. 
Later on, under Solomon, the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And this is, this is wonderful. I would point to you, um, so any questions, comments so far? So the, the abiding presence of the Lord and the abiding presence of a God who desires to save. This is most important for us. You are in the presence of a God who saves. So I especially um, love Psalm 139. If you want to have you turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. Uh, it's really, um, it's, a, it's a marvelous psalm. Um, and and, and I, I quote it briefly in the sermon because I didn't have five minutes to, to, to just read the whole psalm. Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make the bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. For you have formed my inward parts, you knitted me, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden with you when I was made in secret, intricate woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, yet as there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could count them, they are more than, than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. And then it continues on uh, to the very end, right, right there. So it, there's a wonderful psalm about the presence of the, of the Lord. <clears throat> Questions, comments so far? And obviously, I, I could go many other psalms than, than, than this. You know, God is our refuge, a strength, a very present help in trouble. Um, and, and this is uh, um, Psalm 46. And, uh, and so the psalms are, are filled with a, a knowledge of God being present with us. If you remember, the, the promise of the virgin birth is that the, his name would be Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So the promise of the coming Christ is that it's God with us. And this is taken up in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is a, it, you know, there, there's much to do. We talked about this, the background to the New Testament. There, that, that, that what I'm about to say, Matthew has a lot to say, but it's, it's kind of interesting. In Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph, you know, hears from the Lord, you know, don't worry, take Mary as your wife, for that which is in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, and then right there in Matthew 125, which means God with us. So explicitly said in Matthew chapter 1. The very last words of our Lord Jesus after his resurrection to his apostles in Matthew 28, 20 is, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's kind of bookends for the Gospel of Matthew. Then in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew, you hear these words, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in your midst. 
And so this is the promise that we have. And so you, when we gather for the divine service, we know that he's with us in our midst. Now we know that he's with us wherever we go. And this is very important. I don't want to take away that passage, I, uh, those passages from you when you're alone at night, 2.30 in the morning, something's buzzing in your head. Okay, the Lord is with you. I always remember, um, you know, uh, um, you're on the gurney about to have surgery, right? And they make you sign all these papers. You have no idea what you're signing, right? You know, it's a, so my fortune will be dedicated to that doctor. So, no, okay, I'm just kidding. So, so, but then they, so they sign the papers, and then, I don't know, this is Edward Hospital, so I'm sure they have, like, you know, multiple ER um, operating rooms. And so they, they leave me. So I'm all by myself on this gurney thinking, oh, I'm all alone. I'm about to have surgery. Oh, it's kind of lonely. No. I am with you always, even on that gurney, even right before uh, uh, surgery. I am with you always. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so we do have that comfort. But I especially point to, to Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in your midst. So the preciousness of being gathered together as God's people in the divine service. So this is a wonderful. I give you kind of these, these, these hooks for the Gospel of Matthew. Of course, you have five discourses of Matthew. There's other things going on in the Gospel of Matthew also besides that. But this is very important to see that Jesus is God with us. Of course, John 1, verse 14, um, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. And so, and so the Word, He dwelt among us. He made His tent with us. And that has significance to an extent. This is always a transitory place, right? How many of you... Um, I, I just, I, I did this little, little thing. I, I think I figured out that I have lived in 10 different states in my life. Has anyone got more states than that that they've lived in their life? So it's a, okay. Because um, it's very possible. Some people, if they grew up in a military family, there's a, there's a, there's a lot, of, lot of people. But I've, I've lived in 10 different states, okay? Um, and so how many of you, though, are living within 20 miles of where you were born? Anyone here living within 20 miles of where you were born? And so, it's a, so we have people, so, so people who, who are relatively located in the same area. So, but whatever, whether or not you've moved around a lot or whether or not you are truly a, a homebody, if you remember Dick Nosher, lived to be 100 years old. Then the Lord called him home, you know, uh, the week after his 100th birthday. Dick Nosher was born in Naperville. You know, like 103 years ago or whenever. So, so Naperville was not Naperville uh, when he was born. So, but he was a, a, a resident Naperville-ian, you know. So, it's a, so, but whatever you call home, this isn't. So, because to, to really, uh, as, um, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll get to the very next passage, to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. And so when we die... As Jesus says to the thief on the, on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Notice Jesus does not say, today um, I'm going to take you to a place and you're going to have as much fun as you want and, uh, and it's good knowing you. I mean, you know, that's not, that's not, today you will be with me in paradise. So the point of the thief on the cross is being with Jesus. Okay, does that make sense? And so this idea of, of, well, 
when I die, I want to go to heaven, but not having that all encompassed by Jesus Christ, it's not Christian. You know, God does not create the heavens and the earth so that we can just basically ignore him here and basically ignore him there because he throws a pretty good party, right? You know, and so uh, um, there's, since I, uh, I always remember, uh, um, uh, there's a, um, episode of, of Seinfeld where, uh, where, where Elaine's office is going to have a party and, and, uh, and George says, you know, food? Bar? Okay, I'll be there. You know, so was, he doesn't work there at the company. He's going to crash this office party just so he can eat his food and, and have lots to drink. Okay, no, that's not the Christian view. Oh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to go to hell, so I want to enjoy myself and so Jesus will get me to heaven, but, but he's, okay, that's, that's fine, you know? It's, it's kind of like the, and then another thought is, is a, um, there's an old song, you better dance with the one who brought you, right? You know, um, and so, so, you know, the, the point is to be with Jesus. Okay, and then finally, and then if you notice in, the, in our epistle lesson today, and I'm going to talk more about it later on, so if you notice the emphasis of Revelation 21, the new heavens and the new earth, I saw a new Jerusalem coming down, and, and the, the point is, is that the dwelling place of God is with man. That's the most important thing about the new Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God is with man. Now, interestingly, okay, so in John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is a, is a Greek word for, for, for tented. Now, in Revelation chapter 21, it's the same word because it emphasizes that that, that why can, is that is that God's going to dwell with us okay so he's going to so it reminds us about how we get to this dwelling place of God is through Jesus Christ the word made flesh from from the gospel of John okay so that's kind of a brief excursus on this this uh, what I was talking about last week is is thinking not in terms of oh I want to go to heaven but rather I want to be with Jesus and being with Jesus is, is, is wonderful. Um, and last thing, it's an illustration using the sermon, but think about it. Um, any of you um, ever been on a trip that, that on the way to the destination, there were some troubles on the way to the destination? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah whether flat tire or uh, like the very first time I went to, to Europe, 1983. Okay, because I'm a seminary, and it's, good. It's, not, it's not the luxury hotels we're staying in hostels, but it's basically for college kids. It's the Tuesday's Belgium tour of Europe, right? So, so anyway, so, so my, my, my friend from seminary and I, we were both going to go, and to save money, rather than flying a standard airline, we purchased tickets on a charter airline. Well, we get to Hartsfield Airport in Atlanta, go to the terminal, out of business. This isn't good. Okay, then, then about, you know, about, what? Oh, you're on tape again. Okay, so, so now, now the, the good news was, is that, is that we didn't lose all our money. In other words, being foolish and rather than spending like 80 extra dollars to have a regular airline. So they, but they had moved us to another charter airline. So rather than flying direct from Atlanta to London, I now have to fly to New York, I think LaGuardia, then, or Kennedy, and then from Kennedy to London, 
and we had made travel arrangements. We were going to be going from London all the way to Hamburg and staying with some friends of mine, uh, of ours from the, that, that studied at our seminary in St. Louis. They were at the University of Hamburg. Um, their education system's different. So, um, and so, so this meant that we had to go this additional flight and get to London. Of course, all the connections that I had, you know, I had this travel guide, when I could take the ferry across and some of this all messed up. There's no cell phone, so I can't tell our folks in, in, in Germany, hey, we're going to be like, like half a day late or something like this. So, so anyway, so, so the first night you're sleeping on the plane. The second night we're sleeping on a ferry across the English Channel. And so we finally get somehow get over to Hamburg. So in other words, it was not a good first couple of days. However, um, you know, the rest of the trip was, was great. So, I mean, uh, there's some, you know, li little things that caught a cold in Florence or whatever. So I, I, but the rest of the trip was great. But the point I want to make right now is that life can be very difficult here, but you're always with Jesus. The good news though is, is that there is a, there is a point in time in which you're going to be totally unencumbered with all of life's pains to be with Jesus in perfection. And that's going to be really, really good. And so just like here, you might have a time where you get to this wonderful vacation destination and it's unencumbered and you can put, put your trials and your cares away and just relax, et cetera, like this. The only problem is our vacations, we always have to go back, right? But the New Jerusalem is only going back and there's nothing in the back of our minds. There's no bill that has to be paid. There's no, you know, what happens when the sump pump fails? What happens, you know, there's none of this at all. And we'll be with Jesus forever and ever. So there's, there, that's the way of looking at life is I'm with Jesus. And by the way, if you're with somebody that you love, it's a lot better than, than going through the trials that you don't like. You know, I was with my good friend. He ended up being the best man at my wedding, et cetera, like this. So, so hey, we didn't mind being with, it, with, with each other, you know, as we went through the travails of, of the airline flight. That's fine. Or we've had flat tires, you know, uh, with, with, with Amy and the kids on the way to Georgia or stuff like this. I, you know, if you're with somebody that you love, you can get through it. We're with Jesus. So we're not only going to get through it, but we know the promises are eternal. Okay, so that's kind of a view of Revelation 21. Yes, Dwight. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So, yes, yes. So, the recording got my story, so I didn't use any of your names, did I? Okay, so, okay, so, okay. So, are there any questions or comments? Because this is very, very important. Because Jesus is not a means to an end. Oh, I want to get to heaven. Um, and so, I guess I'll believe in Jesus. I guess I'll be part of the church. No, no. He is life itself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. And notice that passage. He is also the way. He's the truth of life. And then it's going to the Father. And remember earlier in the passage of John 14, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, so it's all about Jesus and his wonderful, loving presence. Questions, comments? Okay, and so I know I've spent a lot of time on this, but you... How many of you have enter, and ever encountered somebody who was basically thinking, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but they really didn't want to pay attention to being with Jesus? So Jesus becomes a vehicle, you know, and, and that's about it. So, okay. So if there's no other questions, we have a couple other wonderful lessons right here. I'll talk about, about them as well. And also maybe a couple other aspects of Revelation chapter 21. Okay. This is the fifth Sunday of Easter. Okay, during the season of Easter, in the three-year cycle, we don't have an Old Testament lesson. And thanks to Tom, 
I've not had the mistake, because Tom always puts the, he, he labels it correctly. Tom, thank you very much. He does yeoman's work for our bulletins. Thank you, Tom. So, okay, no, no, I just said, uh, okay. And, and he, he does it just out of, out of a joy for the Lord. We, we're very thankful for that. But he always puts the first lesson. He always labels it correctly, you know, because Tom, Tom is it's, it's a good guy because he, 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 he pays attention to details, much more so than, 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 than pastor, okay? And probably, and, and probably the other pastor, too. We're not as much detail-oriented as Tom is. So he, he pays attention to these little things, and Canner's right there in our meetings, too. So they, they tell me little things to pay attention to. Okay, so... Um, so, so, so during the season of Easter, the first lesson is going to be from the book of Acts. What's the result of Easter? Is the church, right? Okay, the second lesson is going to be from the book of Revelation. What has God promised for the church? Especially the lessons of the book of Revelation are those focusing on eternal life. Okay, we had Revelation chapter 7, today's Revelation chapter 21. Okay, and then we have a gospel lesson, and today's gospel lesson actually was a choice of two, and both of them for, were from the upper room discourse, but that's just, uh, but it's the promises of God. Okay, so the Acts lesson for today is, um, is the next chapter after kind of a breakthrough chapter. The way to look at Acts, again, you, you heard it from me before, is, is, is seeing how the, is this, this expression, the the Word of God grows, and see what you have in the, in the book of Acts, is the Word of God grows in chapter 6, um, in chapter uh, uh, 12, the Word of God grows, chapter um, 19, the Word of the Lord grows, okay? But, so this is how does the Word of God grow? It grows first to pilgrims who are Jews on Pentecost, but they don't know Christ, so they need to hear Christ. Then it's spread out through Jerusalem. Then it goes to Samaritans, and Samaritans are cousins to the Jews. Um, now you have in Acts chapter 10, um, the gospel going to Gentiles. And so Peter's this vision of, of eating animals that are unclean, not kosher. And Peter says, no, 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 I can't do that. And God says, what I've declared to be clean is clean. And so, so Peter does, and God shows him Cornelius, who is something called a God-fearer. Again, he's somebody who already knows the true God, but he hasn't, he's not following Jewish dietary laws, and he's not circumcised. So he's not a full Jew yet. Okay, and so now the gospel goes to these God-fearers. Later on, Acts chapter 16, Lydia is a God-fearer. Okay, so, so he's a Gentile, not in the true sense like Acts chapter 13, but he is a Gentile who is not practicing kosher, and this is very important, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not dependent on whether or not you eat bacon. It's about forgiveness of sins. Now, I, I kid around about the, the bacon part, you know, um, because I guess I could, I, could, I could probably eat kosher, I mean, if that was the only food available. But, but the point is, is not to, is that now the gospel is not tied to the Levitical law and to the Torah law. So, so now those who are not practicing these Old Testament ceremonial law can also be part of the, be part of the church. Okay, and so not that they weren't saved already, but, but this is very important that they are equal members with others. Prior to this, a Gentile is a God-fearer. Yes, they're a believer, and yes, they have life with the Lord, but they're not able, for example, they were going to the temple, a Gentile God-fearer could not enter into the courtyard, the, the inner courtyard, 
for the men. They'd have to stay in the courtyard of the Gentiles. Does that make sense? And in fact, that's where Jesus cleanses the temple because that should be where the Gentiles are allowed to pray to the true God. But now, a Gentile has full access, equal access with a born Jewish male to have access to the Lord through Jesus Christ. In fact, all do. And this is the whole point, is that all have full access to the Lord in Jesus Christ. And so Acts chapter 11 is Peter reporting back to the church at Jerusalem what happened with Cornelius. Now, and we see the church rejoices in this. Two other events I want to mention. Acts chapter 13 is a, another turning point, and this is where Gentiles who are pagan are now witness to. You see the, the doors breaking down? You know, first these Jewish pilgrims, then the Samaritans, now God bearers, then true you know, Zeus worshipers, if, if they were, in Acts chapter 13, now they become Christians too. So, so gates have to be broken down, doors have to be broken down, and, new, and so that now the gospel goes forth to everyone. So Acts chapter 13, and then you have the Council of Jerusalem, which codifies, codifies that the gospel is for everyone in Acts chapter 15. Okay? Yes, go ahead, Linda. No. No, and this is the whole point, and this is the, the whole point. There is no need for circumcision for what good, because, in fact, it's interesting you mentioned circumcision, because in Colossians chapter 2, baptism is now called the, the, the circumcision without hands. So in other words, and, and if you're depending on your earthly circumcision as opposed to your baptism before the Lord, it's not a circumcision, but Paul in the book of Galatians refers it to as a mutilation. Okay, does that make sense? Now, there's, there's no pride in circumcision. The pride is, is that I've been baptized into Christ. And that's both the book of Galatians, then, then Paul later on, the book of Colossians chapter 2, calls baptism circumcision without hands. And so, so there's no longer need for, for circumcision. And now, circumcision in, in Western countries is, is a medical procedure, not, not a religious one, and, and, and has lost its religious significance because there is no longer need for that what there is a need for is baptism. Okay, and so, so now a Gentile, my ancestors, and this is very, very important. We live in this, in this uh, my ancestors lived, oh, I love it, uh, very, very far away from Jerusalem. If you think about my, my, uh, my Norwegian ancestors, they, they live way, some of my family live way north of Oslo. That's a long way, especially if you think of the geography, how many languages that's to cover. That's a long ways from Jerusalem. The gospel had to go a long, long ways to get to my people. And my people way back when would have worshipped Woden and Froden and all then and Thor and all these other folks, right? My Germanic ancestors are totally pagan. Do not think of Europe at, at this time at all as being anything close to being civilized. You know, there, there's a reason why the Roman Empire fell earlier in the West than it did in the East. And a lot of it's because it's just basically pretty easy to turn pagan again, because Northern Europe was just a utterly, you know, I mean, the Romans had somewhat civilized it, but the Germanic peoples never got conquered. And so it was, it was relatively uncivilized, pagan, right? And the gospel goes forth, and the gospel comes forth to you and me. And we are saved by grace alone just as much as anyone. It is just because I'm born American or born into the Missouri Senate or something like this, or my father was, uh, was an elder in the church, does not merit me one little thing. 
It's all by grace alone in Jesus Christ. It's all gift, all gift, all the time. Thanks be to God. And, and by the way, when I t- talk this way, I'm talking to Stephen Schumacher too, who needs to know the promises, right? Because, you know, it's all about God and his grace in Christ Jesus. Okay, so, um, questions, comments? Oh, okay. So you're allowed to ask questions, you know, if I turn to my Bible. We're, we're going to turn to John chapter 13 is our gospel lesson today. Okay, John chapter 13 is our gospel lesson today. So you have your Bible. It begins at, at verse um, 31. John 13, verse 31. Okay. Um, and, and in this, um, this, is, this is part of um, John chapter 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's very important to notice the order. Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and then he says one is going to be betraying me, right? Okay, so um, Judas is still there. He washes the feet of Judas. But of course, the main folks who wash the feet is on Peter. What will Peter do that same night? Deny him. Deny him. So, so this is very, very important. Then Gospel of John, then you have the reinstatement of Peter in John chapter 21. So it's very important to understand Peter's boldness right here. Oh, you know, why do you do this? And then, you know, and Peter seems to you know, be so faithful, but yet he denies the Lord. But he's reinstated um, in John chapter 21. And so it's very important to see this. And Judas also is Peter washed. So Jesus washed at the feet of the disciples, none of whom deserved to be washed, much less by their master. You know, in, in the ancient world, the master washes disciples' feet. That would be absolutely unheard of. Yet Jesus does that. So now, he, and, and so this is why there is no such thing as, as too low of a service for for, for the Lord. Okay, so, um, so in the gospel lesson, so now is the Son of Man glorified and God glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Okay, um, so in the gospel of John, the glory of Jesus is the cross. It's very important. So, so Jesus is, is being most Jesus as he dies on the cross. And so the gospel of John, is, and if you look at the crucifixion, um, Jesus is in charge of the crucifixion. John does not mention, now, now this does not mean that John doesn't know about it, but John omits the fact of Simon and Cyrene. So, so John is Jesus going to the cross, bearing his cross, okay? Um, now this does not mean that John doesn't know about it, but he just doesn't want to emphasize it. On the cross, the words of Jesus focus on Jesus knowing that he's fulfilling scripture, and then knowing that all had been fulfilled, then says the famous words, it is finished. Jesus knows he's paid the full price for sins, that he is truly the, the great high priest at this time, going back to John chapter 2, where he's just destroyed this temple, and I will raise it up again in three days. He also knows that he will raise himself from the dead. The Gospel of John is the most specific place of Scripture where, where Jesus says that he will raise himself from the dead. I lay him down my life, and I'll take it up again. Okay, and so, so now... Um, so the glory of Christ is in the cross. And so our glory is also in the cross of Christ also. Um, little children, you know, a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews. So also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Because you cannot come to the cross. Okay, but now he leaves in this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Okay. 
the, the important point is this, this type of love that we're to have for one another is the type of love that Christ has for us. And it's the Greek word is agape. Maybe and most of you have heard that there's like different words in Greek for, God, for love. And this is the agape, this total self-giving type of love that Christ has for you and for me. Okay. Now, in the context, this is speaking to the disciples and therefore to the church. When John brings this up in, the, in his epistle in 1 John, it's also to the church. This commandment to love one another is to the church. That we are to be loving to the world is true also. But this is especially to be seen that we love one another within the church. And this is why it's so hurtful to the witness of the church when Christians are spiteful and mean to each other. Because what does that say to the world? Okay. So, so the immediate context of this is to love one another is not just talking about being a loving family that might include relatives who are not Christian. That is certainly good to love them. But the immediate context is that we love one another in the body of Christ. And, 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 and that also means that first we have to know each other. And that's very hard in a suburban context where if I do a dot map of this room right here, we'd have a very, very, very big spread, right? You know, distance-wise and, and vocation-wise, et cetera, like this. Um, but it's all about Christ Jesus. So, so questions, comments? I think any other question? Yes. Yeah. 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 So the, the point is for the, for the rest of the class is that, is that Jesus wants us to abide in his word and, and that we live out our lives according to his word. And, and later on, for example, John 15, part of the same upper room discourse, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do do nothing, so that we see that our lives are connected to Christ and that we bear much fruit. But of course, the fruit just flows from, from, from the vine and, and from Jesus being the vine and we are the, we are the branches. Um, and, and this loving one another is, is so important. We have tremendous thing in common with each other. Now, now to an extent, and, and we don't remember this often, I mean, um, there, there's a certain bond, for, for example, okay, I use, use the example of, of, of uh, you see people, and, and sometimes there's great love that, that people who went through AA together have for each other. Because they know the torture that, that, that their alcoholism was creating in their life, and now, now, and they also know that they could go back to it, and so they have a love for the fellow who've gone their same journey, right? Well, every one of you were born into sin, you were lost forever, and now you are the redeemed. You were going one way, but now you're going the entire other way. And so to see each other as the, as, the, as the group of the redeemed, so we have this commonality, this great rescue, but also this great destination, and that we're with the Lord always. This is, this is the hope of the Christian faith right, right here for, for us. Okay, um, kind of what I was wanting to say about the three lessons. Okay, so... Right now, I hear more, more sound. Okay, so other questions, comments about these three lessons? Okay, so just brief word, I, I wanted to mention uh, we have eight catechumens today, and they will be, and uh, um, we just found this word, I got to start using my vocabulary, that they are currently catechumens, 
At the end of the service, they will be confirmants. Okay, because they will be con- those who are confirmed. Now, confirmation, um, do you know how much that earns as far as eternity? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so, and so confirmation is, is to be seen as an affirmation of the gifts given, and this is actually the liturgy says, gifts given to you in your baptism, and now you're making a confession before Christ and the world. It's an important confession. And listen carefully, if you're going to be at the 11 o'clock service, listen carefully to the confession given by these youth as they, as they speak this word. Hopefully, they're a bunch of quiet kids uh, to, to the congregation because they're going to be up at the rail. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and earlier, you know, and I hope they don't take you seriously all the time. I saw two of the girls out, out there in the, in the narthex. I said, are you ready for me to ask a personal question of you during my sermon? And you have to give me an answer. And their eyes just, ah. you know, so, so, so uh, um, you know, they, and I, I, I hope they know I'm, I'm kidding, because I know it's a, they're, they're very shy. Of course, both these girls are rather shy girls anyway, so it's a, it, was, it was interesting. But, but no, but they are going to read a confession of faith to you and to the world. And this is also the same confession that we share with them. So we pray for them, pray that the Lord would be with them, you know, because obviously throughout history, um, there's been a lot of occasions, I can remember it my, myself, you know, I, I had small church in Savannah, Georgia. We had six in my confirmation class. And, and of that, you know, um, at best, maybe two others, you know, would show up at best out of the six of us later on, you know, and, uh, and as far as I know, of course, people move. I mean, what? One of my classmates ended up, after he graduated from the University of Georgia, he ended up moving to Australia. So I haven't kept up with him too much. So, so uh, um, but, but, you know, I, I know of one who, who kept him in, in connection to the church in, in later adult life. But one out of, and, and me, but, but two out of six is not good. We want everyone. So, so we pray for, pray for that the Lord keep them in the faith. Okay, I have nothing else. Do you have anything else? Question, comments? Okay. Okay, you've been very good. I've been the substitute teacher the last two weeks. You didn't tear up the classroom. And I, and I hope we, we did accomplish something the last two weeks. The Lord bless you. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Hallelujah.